Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In this week's installment of our study of the Israelites' journey, Max Groene shows how the Israelites' giving of their treasure, talent, and time in the building of the tabernacle helped them to more fully experience God's presence. Their example serves as a model for us as we seek to experience God's presence more fully as well. So please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35 and join us as we continue to learn how the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be looking at the building of the tabernacle and how the Israelites used their treasure, their talent, and their time in order to reorient and refocus themselves and come into a deeper understanding of God's glory and his presence with them. And so we'll start, as we always do, with a map. It's not crazy updated, but basically our big update for this week is that the Israelites have been told to leave the base of Mount Sinai, and they grumbled about that as well. So that's not in our text. It's in between our weeks. They were told they should leave Mount Sinai, and they didn't want to. They were like, we're so comfortable here in the desert. But they are moving towards the promised land, and we know that there will probably not be a de- another detour, right? No. All right, so we're going to start reading from our texts. We are going to read the first three texts, and then we're going to kind of dive into those. And then at the very end, we're going to dive into that last text together. So we're going to start with Exodus 35, verses 20 through 29. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linens or goat's hair or tanned ram skin or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make contribution of silver or bronze brought it to the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed Achaia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen. All the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light, and for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the Lord, for the work of the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. And we move to Exodus 36, verses 1 through 7. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in in whom the Lord had put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him freewill offerings, every morning, so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, 
that people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Exodus 39, 42, and 43. According to all the Lord, all, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord had commanded, so had they done it. Then Moses blessed them. And so before we start diving into our text for today, I want us to kind of revisit where we've been in the past few weeks. And I think that this is something that offers us a lot of insight into kind of the lives of the Israelites in the wilderness. And so two weeks ago, we remember that Dale was sharing that they were receiving the Ten Commandments. And the week before that, they were camped at the, at the foot of the mountain of Sinai, and they were listening to God's voice, and they were hearing directly from God how they should live. They had this incredible encounter and experience with God. We followed that last week with immediately after this experience with God, they all brought offerings and gold to be melted down into the creation of an idol, a golden calf. And I love that Hunter pointed out what Aaron said. We threw the gold into the fire and it just came out like they didn't have to use skill in creating that idol. And so we went from this almost mountaintop experience with God, experiencing his voice and his presence, hearing directly from him. And they swung on the pendulum all the way to building of a golden calf. And today we swing that pendulum way back to them bringing stuff with such tremendous generosity that they gave everything that was needed for a tabernacle, but more. And so I look at this and I say, what a switch. What a pendulum swinging back and forth from day to day. It's so crazy to me. Hunter mentioned that he said I was too young to watch Seinfeld, which I think is funny because Hunter and I talk about Seinfeld quite a bit. Um, I'm no comic, I'm no actor, I'm not very talented at impressions, but one impression that I do think I do decently well is a Jerry Seinfeld. So I'm going to do that for you guys today, but I want to give some context to this clip that I'm referencing. So there's this time where Jerry's going to visit his parents in like the suburbs, he's with his parents, and I guess somebody gave his dad like a pen, and the guy comes back into the house and he's like, I want my pen back. And so he grabs the pen and leaves. And the parents are like very aggravated. That's it. We're never going to talk to this man again. And Jerry's just sitting there on the sidelines watching all of this happen. And this is his response. He says this. What is going on in this community? Are you people aware of what's happening? What is driving you to this behavior? Was it pretty good? Hunter, we'll uh, take the clip, submit it to SNL. I'll be there very soon. Um, but I, I, I think those lines really sum up how I view the Israelites. What is going on in this community? Are they aware of what's happening? What is driving them to this behavior? I think of just saying, like, why do you, th- why do, you do the things you do, Israel? You were talking with God then giving with everything you had, with all the passions of your heart to build an idol. And then you swing back to with everything you've got, you're trying to serve God. 
And so as I think like, what could possibly lead the Israelites to this? I revisit our theme for the year. The journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus. And when I look at the Israelites, it's very easy to say that journey from bondage to freedom is from Egypt to the promised land. That's very simple and very clear and very true. But I think if we look at the Israelites, we'll see that the bondage goes way deeper than slavery in Egypt. I think that for the Israelites and for us, that the bondage more clearly looks like being a slave to our fears and to our desires. The Israelites are in bondage to their fears and to their desires. Their fears, they've lived in constant reaction to their fear from before the the Exodus. They were fearful of the Egyptians. And then they were fearful and they fled and they feared the, the water around them as they crossed the Red Sea. They feared slavery. They feared starvation. They feared God. They said it was too scary to hear God's voice directly. Moses, you go up and talk to him. It's too scary for us to listen to him. They feared that Moses had left them. The second he went up to the mountain, they're like, what if he doesn't come back? Let's build an idol constantly reacting to their fears. And then in the chapter before where we started in in, uh, 34, it talks about that they were terrified of Moses because his face was shining from meeting with the presence of the Lord. The Israelites are constantly living in bondage to their fears. And in the same way, they're living in bondage to their desires as well. Their desire to be comfortable, to be well-fed, their desire for their own safety, um, and then they all, this is what's caused them to constantly grumble over and over and over again. The experience isn't living up to what they desired in the wilderness. And so I think that this is something that is true for our, us in our own lives as well. I'm sure that we can all point at actions that we've taken that have been a reaction to our fears and our desires. And in some ways, we are all very much still living in bondage to our fears and our desires. So some of the things that I was thinking about as I looked at fears and desires, I actually, I've been following a little bit of the the Gabby Petito case. Has anyone been following that? Yeah, a little bit. So the context of this is there's this kind of like social media influencer, um, you know, young woman who's traveling the country with her fiance. And eventually she goes missing, but the fiance shows back up at his family's house. So then everyone's saying, where is she? And they go to the parents and the parents say, talk to the lawyer. And no one will talk. And then after a little bit, the parents of the fiance, his name is Brian, they come out and they say, well, he's missing too. He's gone camping somewhere and we can't find him. And so they, the parents kind of help a little bit with this investigation with the FBI. But eventually the FBI is like, that's it. We're, gonna, we're done looking. We're going to reopen the park where he was last seen. And then the very next morning, the parents go out by themselves They tell the FBI, we're going to the park when it's open, and they go exactly to where they find the belongings of their their son, and then they find his remains. And this is a very extreme example, but I think Brian's parents were terrified. They were terrified of what might happen to their son if he was found to be guilty with with his fiance's missing person case. And so they tried to protect him. They, they didn't do what was right because of their fears for their son. But what we find is when we, live in, when we live in accordance with our fears, it just leads us further and further down the rabbit hole. In this extreme case, 
They lost their son, not to incarceration, not to jail. His life is forfeit. And I think that this is an extreme example. And, you know, maybe if you're like me, you're thinking, well, I, that's, that's not me. So let's look at some less extreme examples. You know, a couple years ago, I remember sitting in a church and the pastor mentioned tax fraud from the pulpit. And it was just laughed about. But, but you see, we can all get there. We can all get there if we really live into our fears. Fear for how we're going to provide for our families might lead us to keeping two different books for our businesses. That's not right. And then in a, in a level more on where I'm working with college students, there is a huge fear in college students that they're going to miss out on what everyone is telling them is a once-in-a-lifetime experience in college. And it's this fear of missing out on that experience that leads them to straying from their faith and drinking and partying for years and finding themselves at a very depressed state. And so I think we can all look at this theme of our year of bondage to freedom, bondage to Egypt, but bondage to our fears and our desires. And that's the same exact way that the Israelites have been living. And so what is the solution for this? What do they do? The solution for the Israelites of living in this pendulum of their fears and desires is to reorient themselves and focus themselves on the presence of God and and on his glory. And what we'll see is that in the construction of the tabernacle, they get to dwell with the presence of God. But it's that very presence of God that in the tabernacle that manifests itself as a pillar of fire or of a cloud of smoke that they then get to follow. And so as they refocus themselves on God's glory, they're also refocusing themselves on following his presence. I had the opportunity a couple of years ago before I was in seminary to preach at a little church, the chapel in Kings Mill. Um, it's, a, it's a great little church. I, I grew up going there and go, I was... My three sisters and I were their entire Sunday school when I was growing up. Um, so when we moved abroad, there was no more Sunday school. Um, but I had the opportunity to preach. And uh, I think, I think, I mean, it's an, it's an older congregation. And I was preaching about calling. And I was talking about my own calling. And there was two kinds of callings I talked about. Calling for your life and the daily calling to, hold, to pick up your cross and carry it. And afterwards, a bunch of people came up to me and they were like, well, Max, you see, we're done with our careers. We're not really talking about calling for our life anymore. We're just more focused on that second one, you know, carrying our cross daily, daily callings to present the gospel and things like that. I said, That's true. But what I realized is another fear that we have that we really live into is we fear that we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. I felt this fear every time I've finished a school, when I finished college, God, am I really supposed to go to seminary? When I finished seminary, God, am I really supposed to go work at the chapel? And and as I look towards going active duty, God, is that really where you want me? And I think I'm sure the same thing is, is true of retirement. God, what is next? And so I hope that in studying how we can move from bondage to our, from our fears, to our fears and our desires into a following of God's presence, we can talk about that fear as well, that we can have a more clear picture of how to follow God and where he's leading us. And so I'm going to revisit something that I spoke about a few weeks ago, this concept of let my people go that they may worship 
the Lord. This word of worship being abad or abed, that it means to worship, to work, to serve. And so as we look at today, we're going to look at how Israel, how the Israelites worshiped God and how that led to them being able to experience God's presence and glory more fully. And so there are three ways that God asks the Israelites to worship him. And you may have heard these before. He wants to be worshiped with their treasure, worshiped with their talent, and worshiped with their time. But before we dig into treasure, talent, and time, there's one very clear way that God wants to be worshiped in this text. He wants to be worshiped with a willing heart. It popped up over and over and over again. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, whose spirit moved him. All who were of a willing heart brought things, whose hearts stirred them to use their skill, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the construction of the tabernacle. Everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work. God wants us to worship him, to serve him, to work for him, with a willing heart. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes this, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. God loves for us to worship him with a willing heart, to be cheerful givers of our treasure, to be cheerful givers of our talents, and cheerful givers of our time in order to worship and serve God. I love that in Corinthians this, this aspect of giving cheerfully is linked with God's provision. It says that God gives freely to everyone and his gifts endure forever. And with that in mind, we can be a cheerful givers to God. And in the same way in Exodus, they can be cheerful givers because God has already given them so much. He's already delivered them from the grips of slavery He's already given them food falling from the sky when they were hungry. And with all of that taken into account, they too can be cheerful givers, givers of their treasure, talent, and time with a willing heart. And so the first thing we're going to look at of this treasure, talent, and time is treasure. There's so many different references to the treasures being brought here. There are brooches, earrings, signet rings, armlets, gold objects, yarns, fine linens, skins, Silver, bronze, wood, onyx, spices, oil, anything they felt moved to bring. And then it goes on to say they kept bringing free will offerings every day. How generous were they? How much were they giving with their, with their willing hearts? They were giving so much that they gave more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. And so Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. They gave of their treasures so willingly. 
In Matthew 6, 19 through 24, we hear Jesus Christ sharing with us how we should also be giving and treating our own treasures. It says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. And so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so as we look at how we can be cheerful givers to God in order to come into a deeper understanding of God's glory, in order to be more clear on where God's presence is leading us. We have to be of willing hearts to give of our treasure. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. The next thing that God was asking to be worshipped with is with their talent. In Exodus 35, it says, Every skillful woman spun with her hands, all the women whose heart stirred them to use their skill. Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work. And every craftsman in whose mind the Lord has put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to do the work. It's not just enough to serve God with our finances. He also desires to be served with our talents. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here we're talking about speaking and strength. These are not financial benefits. They're not financial blessings. They're talents. They're things that God has given people. And he wants to be served with our talents as well. I think something that is an easy indicator of discerning whether or not you're using your talents or I'm using my talents to serve God is is to think of it this way. We're all using our talents for something. It might be to serve God. It might be to get a promotion. It might be, you know, to make more money. We're all using our talents for something. Is it serving ourselves or is it serving God? Um, One of the things that made me really laugh as I was thinking about using talents is this summer I was asked to do a lot of children's ministry. Um, That is the most humbling thing in the entire world. And I can't think of a person less equipped to do children's ministry than a 27-year-old male who's never had a kid. Um, But it was a lot of fun. I just remember that every time I finished talking to the children, I left and I thought, I have no clue. I have no clue if they understood a single word of what I said. But at the end of the day, it wasn't about how I wanted to use any of my own talents. It was that somebody at the chapel asked if I could do this. And I thought, God, you're going to have to equip me for this. 
But if I have any talent in this, I want it to be used for you. I want it to be used for your glory. And so we all have different talents and gifts. Mine is not as much in children's ministry as I thought maybe it could have been. But are we using those talents to glorify ourselves, to esteem ourselves? Or are we using those talents as a way to worship and work for God? And if it is the latter, that can also lead to a deeper knowledge of God's glory and an awareness of his presence. The last way that the Israelites were asked to serve God is with their time. How we spend our time matters. You know, there's no postal service in the wilderness. And so all of these gifts involved bringing that gift to the tabernacle. This is a huge amount of people. That journey could have taken all day, and every day they came. Every day they came and laid their gifts down to be used for building of this tabernacle. And the same way with all the craftsmen. It's not just using their talents for God. It's using their talents at the expense of what is the most precious resource any of us have, time. Nope. All right, so Ephesians 5 says this, Look carefully how then, then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. How we use our time matters. Um, earlier in chapter 35, which was before where we started today, there's a section on the Sabbath. And we've talked about the Sabbath here at Men's Breakfast in the past. The Sabbath is a way that we can give God time. It is, it is at the expense of other things. When I was a student, I, you know, Sunday is like prime time for doing a lot of work. Uh, you know, you take Saturday off and then Sunday you're like, all these essays are due. Exams are coming up. Sunday was the easiest time to find a routine of doing work. And so when I look at what did it mean to take Sunday off, it meant readjusting my entire schedule. It meant having one day less to study than all of my peers, which might mean receiving a lower grade and a lower GPA. It's a sacrifice. In the same way as we look at our businesses, at our careers, I could make a lot more money if I had one-seventh more time. I could make it a lot further in my career if I just spent one more day working each week. God wants our time. God wants our time. As, I, as we heard about this service opportunity to go and clean a farm, you don't need to give any money. You don't need to come and say, I can use all my construction skills to build a barn. You just need some time. And so this is, in some ways, the easiest way that we can serve God. But I think for most of us, it's probably the hardest way to serve God. Time is precious. But God is a jealous God, is what we see as he gives the Ten Commandments. He's a jealous God and he wants our time. And so, what was the result of all of this? What is the result of the Israelites giving their treasure, their talent, and their time to God? We continue on Exodus 40, verses 33 through 38. And it says, And he erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. 
And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds, the clouds settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the houses of Israel throughout all their journeys. What was the result of their hard work? What was the result of their giving of their treasures, their talents, and the time? The result is that they got to dwell with the presence and glory of God. They got to enjoy God's glory as it dwelled within the tabernacle and follow his presence as it would ascend from the tabernacle and lead them where to go. But God's presence was there before. So what's changed now? I thought it was really interesting to look at all the different occasions that we've seen, uh, or just a few different occasions that we've seen God's presence moving throughout the world before this. In Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Exodus 3, with Moses, he said, Do, do not come near. Take your, hand, your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Exodus 19, now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And then in Exodus 33, the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. So God's presence has been around the Israelites the entire time. But now it's different because now that presence is actually dwelling with them. That presence is a tangible thing. It is a visible way that they can follow God's presence and his glory. It's not God whispering off a mountain saying, move here, move there. The Israelites are finally aware that there is a cloud of God's glory that they get to follow. The Israelites were living in their bondage to, to fears and their desires. And God is moving them into this opportunity where they can live in God's glory and they can follow God's presence. And so I think we need to ask the same question for ourselves. Are we living in bondage? Are we living in bondage to our fears and to our desires? Or are we being made more aware every single day of God's glory? Are we being very aware that God is leading us from place to place, that he has a desire for us. As we study at on Sunday mornings of being God's people on God's mission, God has a mission for each of us. And if we are made more and more aware of his presence, we'll know what that mission is in our lives, where he's leading us to go spread the gospel, who he's leading us to go and serve or bless. And so I think we all need to take a moment and ask ourselves, if Jerry Seinfeld was looking at my life, would he ask, what is going on in this community? Are you aware of what's happening? Would Jerry look at me and say, what is driving you to this behavior? Or in conclusion, are we truly not living this life on a pendulum? Our fears swinging us this way? Our desires swinging us this way? Are we moving linearly, following God's glory, following God's presence. I hope that we can be 
aware of ways that we're still acting as in bondage to our fears and our desires, that we can be searching for ways that we can worship and serve God with our treasure, our talent, and our time, and that we can be made more aware every day of God's presence with us um, and following his presence. And as we look at this topic for the entire uh, study of the wilderness, we remember that this is a journey that points to Jesus Christ. And the great news that we have is that we do not need to bring everything of gold that's in our house. We don't need to meet here at Revolution Golf and start building a tabernacle to experience God's glory, to experience God's presence, because this is something that points to Jesus Christ. We don't need to build a tabernacle. Jesus has already done all the hard work for us. If we're willing to serve God, to put our faith in him, then we get to experience his glory and experience his presence. Thank you for joining us for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope you will join us again next week for the next leg of our journey. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. Have a great week. Thank you.